Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The opinion Corks 96 FM. Tessa, we talked uh, in November about student nurses like yourself working on the front line and getting no recognition whatsoever for it. Now the government is talking about a hundred euro allowance, talking about it. They're not doing it yet. But I think from your Facebook post from last week, that in your mind adds insult to injury. Yeah, um, I suppose I put up that post. I wanted um, to just, I didn't know really how to start it and I wanted to put it up for so long. I didn't want to seem that I was coming across ungrateful for my role as a student nurse in the hospital. Um, But I get so many people asking me all the time, asking me, oh, what do you even do as a student nurse? Do you just follow somebody around? Like, what is your day-to-day and all this? And I just thought that maybe if I just portrayed in a way how we feel as the student nurses, then people might get a, a greater understanding of it. Yeah. It, it used to be the case that the student nurse literally did do that, worked with the more experienced staff, learned to went along, was given small tasks to do during the day. But this is totally different. Oh, yeah. It's, co- it's different circumstances completely altogether. And like, I feel like sometimes we feel like we're a bit lost. Um, we do have the nurses. It's not the nurses fault at all. But like, these are completely different circumstances. Like we're in the middle of a global pandemic and everybody's trying to figure out everything, you know. And sometimes it does happen where we're not with the preceptor or we're not with the nurse, any nurses that we've worked with before. And they think that we're that we're fine by ourselves, that we can do everything. Or sometimes it's like we're just on our, fighting for ourselves, you know, inside the, inside, on, on the wards. Um, but it's, I didn't want to seem ungrateful, like I was saying. Um, Describe your typical day for me. Um, so we have, with my post, as you read, I wake up numerous times during the night with panic and um, worrying about what the day is going to bring and everything. Um, and then I get the bus. Um, sometimes I'm left trying to figure find the coins in my purse, trying to pay for the bus and everything. Um, and then I go up onto the wards and we start the day with handover. Sometimes we have the two new or the three new or the four new COVID cases. We start with the bed washes and a lot of the time there can be... Um, aggressive patients and we don't know that sometimes uh, they, the nurses might think which isn't their fault they might think that uh, we know all this and that we should be careful but a lot of times I've experienced anyway aggressive patients and they're trying to rip off your mask because they don't know they can't see your face mm. um, and it's, it's quite overwhelming um, and you're really startled but then I go on my break and then the later on in the day I just find different tasks for myself to do I might um, help the patients with feeding if they have if they're so weak that they can't feed themselves. Um, I help the I help sing or I read them the newspapers when they have no company from their families mm. and when they've lost their smile. Um, and it's so it's so heartbreaking when you 
you can see that their family obviously means so much to them mm. and they don't have anybody and they rely on us to be there for them. They rely on us to hold their hand and to tell them that everything's going to be okay. Because a lot of other people, they, they're so overwhelmed with the paperwork and time management and everything that they don't have the time to sit down with the patients and tell them that it's going to be okay and that they're going to see their family again and everything. Because I think that must be the hardest part or definitely since the start of all of this, hearing the stories of people who are in hospital. The, the hardest part is you're there, you're struggling, you might be getting a little bit better, you might be getting a little bit worse, but the simple thing like your mom or your husband or your brother or your sister coming in just to talk and check on you, that's yeah. gone. They don't have that. Exactly. And it's so heartbreaking because they're wondering as well how their family are doing outside of the hospital walls. They're wondering if they're ever going to if they're if they're going to get better enough to go and see their family again. If they're if they're if we have time to make a phone call or arrange a FaceTime so that they can see their family members. And it's so it's so hard to see that that pain inside of them like I know they're struggling physically but it's the mental pain as well that they're experiencing and if we can give them some bit of comfort it's it's it makes your day so much better knowing that you can be there for them do people cry a lot in the hospital Tessa oh yeah um a lot of people they have the fear of the unknown they have um fear of pain they have do you know if are they going to ever leave the hospital again? Um, sometimes you, the nurses. I know I myself. I can get quite emotional, and sometimes you have to draw yourself back from those situations because if you're scared, your patient's going to be scared. But a lot of time, it's it's comfort for them to know that you can empathize with them, that you're there with them, and that you can you know what they're facing you know you might not be exactly in their shoes but you can hold their hand and tell them and comfort them that you're there and to see sometimes the pain in people's eyes it's heartbreaking and you just you just want to hug them and hold them and I know with the restrictions and everything you have to keep as much social distance for your own safety and for their safety of course but sometimes you just you just want to hug them and tell them that it's going to be okay and things are going to get better but even as nurses we're we're unsure of that we don't know that exactly yeah you're told as a nurse aren't you never promise it's going to be fine because you can't make that promise and yet you're there and they're looking to you to know am i going to be all right am i going to get through this am i going to see my family again yeah, exactly. And we're just put in that position. And as student nurses, it's difficult because you don't know what you don't have a lot of experience with these with these situations. And you want to tell them everything's going to be OK and you want to be there for them. But of course, you can't promise them there, but you can tell them, look, we're going to get through today and we're going to do the best we can. We're going to see what tomorrow tomorrow is going to bring. You know, I think that's the, the, the key point that you're getting to. You're you're a student nurse. You're you're new to this. You, you're not qualified yet. You've not spent time on the wards learning from the the older heads. You're a student. You're trying to do this job of reassurance and almost be their counsellor. And you yourself are trying to learn at the same time. It must be exhausting. Um, sometimes, yeah, you, it can be exhausting. You come home and your head is just filled with the patients that you've met that day and the experiences that you encountered. But at the same time, you have to go in there with the best, with the with a bright smile, knowing so your parent, patients can see that you know 
like, look, she's smiling. Maybe, maybe she can get through this. If I can get through this, she can, get, or if she can get through this, I can get through this. And um, it, it does get overwhelming, you know, and especially because we, we can't, we're comp- patient confidentiality and everything. Of course, we can't go around talking about it. Hmm. So it's a lot, a lot of us is being just, it's all in our heads sometimes. And it's hard to, to process everything that's going on all the time. So it is difficult in that way as well. This is not really. I know that a global pandemic was what nobody signed up for. But when you filled out your CEO form, Tessa, to do nursing, you never expected to be working on the front line in, in a pandemic. No, and that's the thing. Like everybody, uh, people are being like, "Oh, you knew you were never going to be paid, so why are you fighting for it now?" But mm. we we knew the risks if we're going to bring an f- infection home to our families. We knew that we'll have assignments and exam pressure on top of everything, and we knew that we'd have to do the twelve-hour shifts. But the thing is, we never knew that we'd have to do it in a global pandemic where we're receiving no support whatsoever from the government, and where our mental and physical health is literally on the verge of breaking. You mentioned in your post that sometimes it's a case of do I eat now or do I keep my money for the bus tomorrow? Yeah, and I feel like that is just my story. I know a lot of other student nurses and they have it so much more worse than me. Like I'm lucky that I have a home to come home to and I have a father that will cook me my meals um, if I have the energy to eat them some nights. But um, I know a lot of student nurses and they have to pay for accommodation and then they have the, like some of them have chosen not to go home and see their families over Christmas because of the risk of spreading the COVID. They have vulnerable people at home so they have to stay in their accommodations and it's hard for them um and it is like we have like sometimes with the canteen food and everything we have to decide oh will I will I just have a snack from the vending machine or will I have a full meal will that be enough for me you know because there's a lot of things and on top of that then when we're registered we still have to pay the 100 euro registration fee which is uh, when I talk to some of the nurses about it they're like don't even don't even ask us what it's for because we don't even know and then on top of all of that to hear that the secretary uh, the secretary general from the HSE is getting a 90,000 euro pay rise yes so yeah making that making our our annual uh, income 292,000 a year is it's just like a slap on the face it's like oh are we not even seen are we not even recognized that the government thinks that two euro and 80 cents roughly is saying well done fair play this is what you deserve yeah because that the hundred the hundred quid that they're talking about that that breaks down in your week to what 280 an hour roughly yeah it's been 273 or 280 an hour Compared to two hundred and ninety thousand for the the secretary of the department, but one thing I, I sense from your voice, Tessa, is that you still absolutely love it. Oh, I do. I really do. It brings so much joy to me, and um, to know that I can make a difference, or I can be a part of someone's routine in their day, or that I can sit down and talk to people. I mean, um. The reason I went into nursing is because my mo- my mother was very sick when I was younger and I loved the idea of just helping. I like I spent a lot of time in the hospitals and seeing the nurses do their work and seeing how that they can be an advocate for their patients. And I love I just love the idea that I can be there for someone. I can make their day a little easier. And um, if it's, you know, brushing their hair or painting their nails or doing a silly dance something to put a, a smile on their face and it oh it really burns up your day it has the hardships you come home sometimes and you're like oh my god how did I get through today mm. um but 
other than that, like I, I really, really do love it. Yeah. Well, listen, stick with it because I don't know anything about nursing, but I, I get the sense you'll make a damn good one by the time you're through this. <laughs> Yeah, um, but like I said, I'm an advocate for my patients. But today I just hoped that I could be an advocate for myself and an advocate for all the other nursing students out there because I know how hard it can be. I know how hard it can be to be just completely ignored from the government. I mean, women in general are just completely like totally disregarded in Ireland like from the cervical smear test scandals the sealing of the mother and baby home reports and to the complete lack of maternity services during COVID it's just it's just a complete disregard and it just feels like we're not even seen anymore and it's it's just a slap on the face like I just wish that there was more that I could do like I wish I could just sometimes just go up to the doyle and sit down and just talk to them all and just look them in the face and that they can see the exhaustion and the tiredness and the frustration, you know? You absolutely say it so well. There's no need to add anything to it. Tessa, thank you so much and good luck. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for letting me talk again. <laughs> you take care now. You too. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let us go to, to London and to Alan Bohan from Ballancolig. Alan, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, how are you? Good, good to talk to you. You are a senior charge nurse at the Royal London Hospital and your ICU numbers are now three times as many as in March, the biggest ICU in London, and they haven't even peaked yet. It must be hell on earth over there. Yeah, it absolutely is hell on earth. Um, we actually now have the unfortunate title of being the biggest ICU in the UK with what's going on and we still don't have enough beds so how many beds um, have you got this morning so with, to give you context we normally would run 44 beds and we have 150 patients in the ICU 130 of which have COVID and we're trying to open up another ward with a further 30 beds um things have got so bad with us that now the army is going to be sending staff to try and help us. London, of course, at this stage, Alan, is is some of the worst COVID case numbers in the world. Yes, unfortunately, it is. Did the the mayor there, uh, Mr. Khan, did did he declare a state of emergency in London in the last week or so? Like, it's just kind of... He did, uh, about a week and a half ago, he declared a state of emergency. Um, like we're having to our, our ICUs are so full we're having to transfer patients long distance just last week we transferred three people one to Leicester one to Stoke one to Newcastle which is really long distances to be transferring someone who's critically ill in an ambulance yeah what, what's it like working under that level of pressure um it's 
it's very hard to be honest. Um, I think you don't realise how hard it is until you've probably time to reflect at the end of your shift. If you're just focused on getting through the next the next hour, mm. getting the next person in, just uh, you feel like you're just firefighting, really. Yeah, trying to support your staff as best you can. Um, but there's there's no magic bullet. There's not enough ICU nurses. It's plain and simple. Um, normally, ICU you'd look after one person because they're so critically unwell. Um, we're having to dilute our numbers down to looking after four patients with support from other registered nurses. We even have consultant surgeons who are acting as care assistants to help us. Just everyone, everyone is being thrown into this to try and manage. Yeah. Now you, you, you're you're a charge nurse, which means you're you're you lead a team. How many on that team? So I have on my team, I have eleven people. But when I'm on shift, I will be uh, in charge of the whole unit. So I would have to coordinate for all of those 150 patients and liaise with A and E and the wards and see where we're going to get more beds how we're going to get more people in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very difficult at the moment. Certainly the, losing, the hardest are, are job you, I've ever done. Hardest job I've ever done. Are you losing patients every day, Alan? Absolutely. Yeah, we are, unfortunately. Um, uh, so, during the first pandemic peak, which was April, May, we had a mortality rate of about 40%, which is pretty normal. But hopefully now things are actually slightly improving with that. Now that we have, we know more about the disease, we've got more treatments that we didn't know about before. Yes, yes. So there is certainly light at the end of the tunnel with that. And the fact that we now have a vaccination program, that's going to definitely help. Yeah, that that's that really is and uh, big news because like at least as we came into this third wave, the vaccines also started to be to be rolled out. You know, I mean, have you got yours? I believe you got your vaccination just before. Christmas. Yes, I got the I got the first um, jab of the Pfizer vaccine, and I'm glad to report I had no side effects or any of my colleagues. Good. And when are you due to get your second, or are you due to get it this month? Uh, actually, it's been extended. It'll probably be in the next three months. Okay, okay, okay. They're hoping um, that actually by not giving you the second dose, they'll be able to give so many more people their first dose. Yes, yes, because it gives you a fair level of a fair level of immunity. Um, you'd obviously have friends back here at home nursing on the front line, just like you said. What are they telling you when you talk among yourselves? How how do the two situations compare? Um, I think it's I think it's a pretty similar picture, really. To be honest, I worked uh, for three years in um, the general ICU in the CUH. I trained in the CUH, went to UCC, did my nursing training there, and short staff being asked yeah. to take more patients than you would normally do. Um, we're calling it disaster medicine because that's what it is. You're not able to give the same level of care that 
you would want to give someone. It's, the game is about keeping people alive. Yeah. Um, and I know the CUH is in one of the worst situations as well in the country, and they're certainly feeling it as well. Well, you, um, you, may, you may or may not know, Alan, they have one bed left this morning, one critical care bed left this morning. Yeah, that's shocking. You know? It You're is. spending your day looking after very, very sick people and looking after their needs and th- their, you know, the needs of those around. How do you look after yourself? I mean, what are you? You're 33. Yeah. Um, and, and this is obviously going six, seven days a week now. How, how do you mind yourself? How do you, how do you switch off? How do you, how do you, can you ever leave the scenario for an hour and just draw breath and relax? Um, I'm quite fortunate actually like my partner is an A&E nurse right. so um, so we're both in the same situation we're both able to talk to each other about it debrief and move on not everyone is as fortunate you know that perhaps their partner is working something else that they don't get it you know so yeah. I'm quite lucky like that that then you can just try and focus on other things for a for a few days before you go back to it but it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely always with you because what kind you're of roster constantly you getting the WhatsApp messages about yeah. how bad things are yeah. even on your days off so you can't really avoid that what kind of a no. roster do you work um, so I usually would do um, I would usually do two or three days in a row and then follow by two or three nights so yeah. at the moment I'm, I'm doing about five shifts in a row and then having about three days off. Okay, okay. And there's there, that 12 hours? 12 hours shift? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in theory, it's a lot more usually. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that. You don't you don't get out of the hospital bang on 12 hours like... No, so not at all. No, yeah, yeah. And um, you're in a lot yeah. earlier than when you start. Yes, yeah. Watching the situation at home, um, Alan... Is there anything that you can tell us to, to help avoid the kind of absolute chaos that you're dealing with? Like, it's bad as it is, but how, I mean, the chaos that you're dealing with, how can we possibly avoid that? Um, well, I mean, we obviously all have to continue to follow the rules. I mean, to be fair, I think Ireland was doing great for so long. People had been doing it. Perhaps there was just a bit of apathy over the Christmas and New Year's period um, but th- I, I think the, the biggest thing is there's, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fake news out there there's a lot of people who actually don't even they think this is a hoax they don't even believe it I mean we had a guy in the ICU two weeks ago who was telling us that he didn't have COVID and she would just look at him and say well why do you think you're in ICU you know um, we just it, the, the reality is our health our health systems are not designed for this. We don't have enough beds and the reality is that if it comes that the health service breaks then it could be your loved one who won't get an ICU bed and that's unfortunately what we've seen happen throughout the world. That's what, that's what happened in Spain, that's what happened in Italy, that's what happened in the United States. Yeah, these are what we have the, the battlefield triage where you're looking at two people. You have one bed. You have to say who'll benefit most from that bed. But that's a decision nobody wants to make. No, and that is the decision that is being made 
every day, unfortunately. And that's the reality of it. And that must be very hard, Alan, to be the person who makes that call. It is. It is, absolutely. Um, and it's very hard on their families as well with the, when they have to mourn their loved one, knowing that they weren't given the opportunity. Do you find yourself uh, making that call or your team making that call? Uh, our team has to make that call, unfortunately. I mean, we don't, we, we don't want to make it, but unfortunately some people in normal times who would have come to ICU, uh, you have to weigh up the decision that actually by admitting them to ICU, are they going to, are they going to recover? If, and if the answer is no, then you cannot offer ICU to this person. That's a That's horrible it. position to find yourself in. It is. It, it must is. be very upsetting to go home after that, having made those decisions. It must be very upsetting to sit at home. Do you know when it's all when it's all over and you're sitting down at home with the, with a bit of dinner and maybe the telly. Mm-hmm. Must be that that must play on your mind. Did I make the right call? Did we did we take the right box? It does, and um, I, a lot of our staff are suffering with post traumatic stress disorder, and wow. um, just from the situation that we're in, um, I think it's going to have huge long term uh, consequences for our staff and for. All of the medical professions in general. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a terrible thing to find yourself having to having to decide. It's been tough for you too, personally, I think, Alan, because you've missed—is it one or two family funerals? You just couldn't come home. Uh, I missed my granddad's funeral, um, which was obviously very upsetting that I couldn't come home, but. There's so many other people who are in the same boat. It's not not just me. Fortunately, with modern technology, I was able to watch it on Facebook, but it's not the same, is it? No, you know? no it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, Listen. Yeah. What can we do? Are there are there many more Irish in the Irish lads and lassies in there? The, is, yeah. There's a, there's, we have a, our own little Irish mafia <laughs> in the Royal London, so... Yeah. It is. Yeah, uh, there is. It's quite a good few. A good few. I guess the, there's a, there's a sense of camaraderie there, Alan. Is there as well? You know. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It is. It is great. It's all. It's always great to work with someone from home. Well, listen, you take care of yourself. And I know that everyone who knows you from here will be very proud of the work that you're doing. Uh, and, and, and for goodness sake, mind yourself, uh, because there's only one you. You know what I mean? I know. Thanks a million, buddy. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers Alan. Take care. Bye-bye. Corks 96FM. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 